Well, there you go. If you're a ref, it's what you do. You over-explain things. Well, hey, we are in a two-part series. We're finishing that up today uh, on discipleship. And so we've really been talking about uh, what is our vision for discipleship as a church? What is the anatomy of a disciple? All right, what does a disciple do? What does a disciple look like? And uh, so we've been talking about this the past couple weeks. Um, so here's just a multiple-choice question. We're going to start off in that way, all right? So if you weren't ready to think, we're about to get ready to think, all right? Hopefully, though, this should be an easy answer. You don't have to call it out. Uh, but um, last week, Stephen talked about uh, sort of the anatomy of a disciple. What does it look like to be one? And uh, today we're talking about, okay, then in response, what does a disciple do? So a disciple of Jesus does the following, all right? So A, bears the fruit of Jesus. B, actively engages in the mission of Jesus. C, both A and B, or D, none of the above. All right, just think about it for just a second, all right? Uh, hopefully you've already got the answer to that in your minds, but it's tricky, isn't it? I always hated when they would, like, put the C as A plus B, and then the D is none of the above. Because, like, the D, none of the above, means, like, it could be any world of answers. It totally eliminates, like, the whole point of multiple choice in my, uh, in my uh, book. So I, I don't like that as much. But hopefully this was an easy one, and uh, it is C, both A and B. Those aren't the only things that a disciple does, but a disciple does, in fact, bear the fruit of Jesus. And this is what Stephen talked about last week is there, are, there is external evidence of this internal reality of Jesus and the presence of Jesus and the work of Jesus in their life. Why? Because the gospel still changes people from the inside out. And so there is naturally going to be some external evidence uh, in their life. They're going to have uh, the fruit of Jesus and the things of Jesus continuing to grow in increasing measure in their life. It doesn't mean we're going to be perfect, but we're going to see more and more of a resemblance of Jesus in the life of a disciple. And so if you're a disciple, you should be bearing the things of Jesus, the fruit of Jesus in your life. The second is also true, that you're going to actively engage in the mission of Jesus, meaning I'm going to participate in um, the mission of Jesus. So I'm a disciple of Jesus. It makes sense, right? It stands to reason that I would do the very thing that Jesus set out to do if I'm one of his followers. And so the question is, what is that? What is that? And in Matthew 28, 19, it says, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And so, A, they bear the fruit of Jesus. And how many of you guys just enjoyed what Jason had to bring last week, right? It's like, man, man came to preach, and I'm looking forward to seeing him continue to grow into this because uh, he's going to make a huge impact if he continues to do these, very, these two things uh, here. He's going to make an impact for the kingdom. And so, man, he brought it last week and reminded us of the fact that when we build a foundation on Jesus, that, again, we're going to do the things that Jesus called us to do. And so, here it is. If you're a disciple... We could make a Geico video about it. If you're a disciple, you make disciples. It's what you do. If you're a disciple, you make disciples. It's what you do. Now, I wish I could say that I was just, you know, when I was coming out of seminary um, and really in seminary and I got the call to be a part of Axis Church, I wish I could just say that I was like a super savvy disciple maker and that I was just like, man, I'm on fire for Jesus and I'm, I'm totally tearing it up as a disciple maker. Now, I, I did love Jesus at that time, but when I was invited into, the, into Axis and to learn all that we were a part of and uh, Stephen was like, hey, we're starting this church and man, there's such a great need in Warren County. It's one of the fastest growing counties in Ohio, and there's so many people there uh, that just need Jesus, and so we're going to do this in a unique way. Uh, we're not going to build the, the biggest show in town. It's not going to be about come and see, come and see. Instead, we're going to invest in building disciples and then mobilizing disciples out into their local context, and that's how we're going to make an impact, that we're going to expand in 
influence. It's not just going to be about growing big. It's going to be about this growing influence in the name of Jesus now. That's a harder road, um, and that's a more difficult route, but that, that's the mission that we've been a part of. And honestly, that fired me up. I got excited. And then the next question was, well, how do you do that? Like, how do you do that? I, I want to make disciples. I want to live the command of Jesus, right? But how do I do that? And that was really the question that I had, you know, because um, in my experience, what that meant was if I was a disciple maker, I was a church leader. Um, and by the way, this applies to, again, all of us as disciples, not just church leaders. Uh, but as that, I was like, okay, that just means you like, what does that mean? You like do really good Bible studies, right? Does that mean you just put on really good services where people can hear the message of Jesus and come and go? Um, and these are the things in my mind that I, I thought d- was disciple-making, right? And, uh, but what I've learned is that disciple-making is more life on life. It's where you really kind of sink your heels in and, uh, and, and team up in a way that you are influencing people on a day-to-day basis. And so it was a learning for me to figure out how do you actually make a disciple? I mean, the very command of Jesus How do I go and do that? How do I live that out uh, on a daily basis? And I believe that most of us are probably um, in that same boat. And I've learned a lot uh, over the years as we've sought to do this. Um, And I believe that most of us have this desire for our friends to discover what we have in Christ. You know, I I think like Paul, um, you, you see he's just one of the most amazing evangelists of all time and, you know, planting churches and reproducing churches and mobilizing people and building leaders. You know, here's a guy that just lived this out day in and day out. He, eat, he would eat, sleep, and drink, and, and the gospel, you know, it just flowed from him, and he was transformed from the inside out, and then he lived this mission day in and day out. And if you were around Paul, it wouldn't be long before you were hearing about this guy named Jesus that met him on the road to Damascus and turned his life upside down, because Paul was just oozing with Jesus in every uh, sense. And in Acts 27 th- or 26 through 29, we see just this cool moment where even to Agrippa, Paul is standing trial, and he's still, he's not even worried about what's going on in his own personal life. He's wanting to tell more people about Jesus. He's in jail cells telling people about Jesus. He's now on trial telling uh, Agrippa about Jesus, and Agrippa says to Paul, he says, I love this conversation. He says, can you persuade me in such a short time to become a Christian? And Paul says, whether short or long, I would that, that I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am, except for these chains. And so Paul says, man, I want everybody to experience Jesus in the way that I have. And so this mission is not some just random project, or it's, it's, it comes from this genuine place that, man, we want people to experience and encounter Jesus in, in the gospel of Jesus in the way that we have. And so I believe, and I'm just going to assume that most of us in this room have at least some desire for that. Maybe you're still on that journey um, yourself, and so this might not apply to you as much, but for the rest of us that would say we're disciples, disciples make disciples. And so the big question then is, how do we do that? How do we lead people in the way of Jesus on a daily basis in our everyday context? And so I want to focus today on five habits that effective disciple makers possess. Five patterns that with God's help we can influence and shape the lives of other people. And so whether you're a mom or a dad today and you're raising a child in Jesus, 
Uh, maybe you have a child that has grown that you're trying to influence in the name of Jesus. Uh, maybe it's some, a friend that, uh, that you have that's been journeying with you, and you're trying to journey with them in faith, and so you're trying to help influence and shape their life uh, in the way of God. Wherever God has placed you, in whatever everyday context you are today, um, there are some habits that disciple makers hold uh, that I want to spend some time talking about. And so we're going to look at five. There could be about a hundred of them, but lucky for you guys today, we've condensed it down to just five, okay? Uh, let's pray and just ask God to speak to our hearts in whatever way he wants to this morning. Father, thank you for this opportunity to hear from your word, God. We just pray um, that you would illuminate in us uh, what you want to illuminate. Uh, and anything that, um, that is not from you, God, I just pray that it would be forgotten. Uh, we want to hear from you today, God, and uh, we just ask that you would speak to us um, in, into our lives and our everyday context. We pray that in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so number one, here's what effective disciple makers do. The first thing is, and this is going to seem obvious, um, but in, for some of us it's easier said than done, they chase hard after God. They chase hard after God. And I love the imagery of the psalmist here who writes, as a deer pants for flowing streams, so my soul pants for you, O God. And so there's just this desire, this hunger for God. Um, in every possible way in their lives. And that's the thing that they desire more than anything else. And so there's not this whole like life and church life kind of thing going on, right? There's not this kind of like this is me in this setting and this is me in this setting kind of thing going on. Man, because every bit of their life is submitted to the authority of Jesus in such a way that they run strong after him. And Jesus, um, we, see, we see this, he describes himself as the good shepherd. He says, I am the good shepherd, I know my sheep, and my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay my life down for the sheep. And so there's this just desire and this chasing after this, the good shepherd. I, uh, I, some of you know I have two kids, um, Aiden, who is now four, crazy as that is, here in October, and uh, Eli just turned one. And they're so different, which is really cool, and as parents, you know this, like, you just love different things about your kids because there's just these unique qualities about them. And uh, Aiden, as you guys know, is very vocal. He's just like, you know, he'll let you know. He'll talk to anybody. He's just so, and Eli, he is just very, he, he's kind of got this sweet tenderness about him that I just love so much. And uh, I, I, I'm going to say this out loud, Jess might correct me later, but I'm pretty sure that Eli is a daddy's boy. I'm just saying. Um, he loves his dad. And I just love this about him because, like, Aiden, he could take or leave me most of the time. Like, we're buddies, but it was on his terms. Like, he never came up to me and, like, it's like wanting me to hold him all the time, right? And, uh, but Eli, he'll follow me around everywhere. Like, this dude just wants me to hold him. And, like, it's funny because when I get home at the end of the day, he's just shooting across. Like, he crawls so fast. And he's like, uh, uh, uh. You know, he's, like, reaching up to me. He'll crawl up my little leg and just, like, Dad, you know, dad, 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 dad. And that was like, that's his favorite word. He says it all the time. And I just, I love that. All right. I'm gloating a little bit, but I love it. And uh, so I just, it, it's great because, um, you know, he'll find me wherever I am too. Like if I leave a room and he really wants me, he'll chase me into the next room. And like same thing, crawl up my leg. So finally I just find myself like carrying him around doing things. Like I'm just like, you know, moms, you're like, yeah, welcome to my life. But it's awesome, you know, and I, I love this spirit about him. And I want to give you that image because I really believe that, man, that should be the heart of a disciple. Is, man, we just can't get enough of Jesus. We want more of Jesus. We chase him around everywhere. We continue to follow so closely to the good shepherd that we're never far behind. And uh, I just love that imagery that is given to us right here in John 10, that the good shepherd, that my sheep know me, 
and I know my sheep, that there's just this bond, this inseparable relationship here, that it's more than just this checklist of I do these 10 things and then I'm in relationship with God. No, it's this deep and abiding relationship that we desire him, we hunger for him more and more. And when you see leaders like that, when you see people like that, that are actually doing that, that actually love Jesus, that is what is most contagious. And if ever point in time, any of your leaders or any leader that you follow is no longer hungry for Jesus, here's my advice to you. Stop following them. Stop following them. Because we need to follow after people that are chasing hard after God. And if we want to be disciple makers, we need to be those people that are chasing hard after God so that we can lead people in the direction of the good shepherd. And if we want to shepherd others, again, we're, we're chasing hard after God. So one way, one imagery that I could just give you here would be we look like sheep from the front, shepherds from the back. So from the front, we're sheep, we're following the good shepherd. And then because of that, because of our, our role being played there, we have the ability then to shepherd those that follow us uh, and those that come after us. And even Jesus, he didn't operate in isolation, right? I mean, Jesus was the greatest disciple maker of all time. You know when you get that church answer, like, okay, who's the greatest, whatever? It's just Jesus, right? Like, you know that's the answer? Well, this is the answer here, too. That Jesus was the greatest disciple maker of all time, right? And we see that even he, who is God in the flesh... He continued to make his relationship with God a priority. He continued to chase hard after the Father day in and day out. And we would regularly see this pattern. Not like, oh man, my life's a wreck and now I'm getting back on course here. He regularly had this pattern. Not just when he needed God, like, oh man, SOS, God, I need some help here. It wasn't like that. It was this daily relationship that he had with him. That he truly had this deep and abiding relationship with God. And we see that early in the morning, right, he had this habit of getting up before any other distraction came onto the scene, and he spent time to pray and seek God. And if even Jesus, God in the flesh, saw it as a need and a priority to chase hard after God on a regular and consistent basis, why do we think we should only do it once a week? Why do we think we should only do it twice a week, whatever that looks like? Why do we only think we should pray to God and seek God uh, when things get really, really tough? You see, this is a critical first habit if we want to live the command to make disciples is that we would do that. We would chase hard after God. The second is this, and it naturally follows that when we're chasing hard after God, the next thing we're going to do is we're going to walk in step with the Spirit. We're going to walk in step with the Spirit. So not only are we going to chase hard after God, hunger more for Him, and that's what's going to make us then do the next thing. It's not like an obligation. It's more, man, I just want to, because I love God, I want to keep in step with the Spirit. And so another way to say this is, as disciple makers, is this means that we're going to have lives that are worth imitating. Because when we keep in step with the Spirit, when we bear the fruit of the Spirit, then now we are worthy to actually be imitated because we are imitating Jesus. And Jesus, he's obvious, like it's obvious that, you know, he could do this. His life was blameless, untainted. His intentions were pure and perfect. And some of you are thinking, man, I'm a long way off of that. My motives aren't always pure. You know, I, I make mistakes. And so how do I do this then? I like how I heard it stated one time is that we are living examples. We are not perfect examples. 
And so we get to be teachers through our mistakes. Now, the challenge is if that same mistake continues to have victory over you, you start to become a little bit less credible as a disciple maker and a leader because you can't even get through it, right? So, but that doesn't mean we're not going to make mistakes along the way. But, man, I hope that through most of those mistakes we're finding more and more victory and we're saying, all right, let me show you how I did this. Walk with me. I want to show you a better way, and it's the way of Jesus, and it actually works, so the gospel has to be translating into your life because the gospel does actually work. And if we live in submission to the gospel, it will actually work. And so Paul says, and he could confidently say this because of that, because he was living under the authority of Jesus, because he had the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, he could confidently say, as he does in 1 Corinthians 11, 1, say, listen, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. And so watch and learn. Watch how I live this out. And I'm not going to be perfect. And he readily accepted and admitted his mistakes. uh, But he continues to call his disciples to follow in uh, the patterns that he is living. And he also says to the Philippians, he says, Whatever you have heard, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. And so he's listening, like, watch. I want you to pay attention to what I'm doing and the way that I'm living my life. And so it's not sufficient just to tell people. We've got to show them with the way that we live our lives. We've got to model it. Now, one of the arenas that this plays out for me as a trainer is uh, is as a trainer and uh, as a coach at CrossFit because um, we're working with people all the time that have zero experience with, like, lifting barbells and doing squats and doing these movements that could be potentially harmful if you don't know how to do them. And so you have to, to, to one, know where people are at, right? You've got to be a good listener to be a coach. And so you have to be, man, this person knows nothing. And so, like, you start with that baseline, right? Um, or you can kind of, you know, work from where people are at and, and 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 so um, this is what you have to do. But the worst, absolute worst approach I could have is somebody's never lifted a barbell in their life. They've never done a squat. And they come in, and I'm like, hey, man, glad you're here. You know, come on over. Um, We're we're just going to start out today. We're going to go over to the whiteboard here. And I'm going to write you out just five principles um, of squatting, okay? So I'm going to write those out. I'm going to make sure they're real clear for you. just going to write those things out. And here's the five principles of squatting. And then right after that, since they've got that knowledge base, I'll be like, all right, cool, now that you know what a good squat is, um, you know, on paper, now go, I want you to go and uh, do one. And I'll load up like, you know, 400 pounds on the bar and say, okay, good luck. Like, now remember the principles. Just look at the board if you need, you know, if you have any other questions. That would be ridiculous, wouldn't it? No, I would actually work with them. I would train them. We would build up in the process, right? I would show them what a good squat looks like. I would model it for them, right? It would be absolutely ridiculous to give them information that they don't know how to apply uh, into their everyday life. Why do we do that with faith? Why do we think that just a bunch of information is going to help us to go live this out? We have to, as Stephen talked about last week, it's about imitation. We don't just tell people, we show them what it looks like. And so we don't just speak the fruit of Jesus, we bear it. So they should actually see the things and look like, here's a life that has this quality about it. And here's how that's lived out, and here's what happens. And in Galatians 5, 22 through 25, it says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ, they have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And if we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. So day by day, we continue to keep in step with the Spirit, and we invite others along in that. And the more that you live in step with the Spirit, the more opportunities you will have to be a transformer and shaper of the lives of others. 
I'm just telling you right now, you're going to have more people saying, man, I noticed something about you. Like, how do you have joy in that situation? Or how can you exhibit such self-control when you're faced with the, the temptation that you're faced with? How have you been able to do that? How do you love people that are just like, you know, like, how do you just love people, period, you know? Like, when they get on my nerves, like, how, how do you love people like that? How do you show kindness in the way that you do? And more people are going to start to be curious about your life. My man down here just had a post this week that, man, I just think is worth celebrating, and I was just so excited to see it. Uh, one year clean and sober, and uh, that's just something I think is worth appreciating. Now, here's what I love, because Donnie came to me after that, and he said, man, it's, I just don't, it's like I, I surrendered it to him. Like, I finally surrendered it to him, and the gospel is at work in his life. The gospel is at work in this guy's life. And here's what I love about that, is because of that, he's now getting opportunities to influence and impact other people. He's getting the opportunity to be example to other people, and that's what it's about, surrendering to Jesus in such a way that now I can take you somewhere, right? Because I've been through it, I've walked through it, I've conquered it, I've seen victory in this by the power of Jesus, not by my own power. And so, man, what an example to get to do that. And I believe that the more deeply embedded the character, the qualities, and the characteristics of Jesus are in us, the more we have to offer other people. When we can finally get to that place where we say, God has given me victory, I can show you the way to victory, come along with me, right? We keep in step with the Spirit, and we're able to experience the victory and blessing of the Spirit. So disciple makers do that. Disciple makers also, they translate the gospel into real life. They translate the gospel into real life. Now there's two ends of the spectrum when it comes to sharing and developing and maturing the message of the word of God in people. The first is, hey, we just got all of this information, right? Like we got all this information and Bible content. And some of us, we're really good with this. We know the Bible, right? We know the stories of the Bible. Maybe we've grown up with the Bible. And so we're just loaded with Bible knowledge and content and, and we're very literate in the scripture, right? Some of us are not so good at that. We don't know the Bible very well, so this needs to continue to be developed in us. So this is part one, right, is knowledge of the Bible. We can't have just all knowledge of the Bible without applying it to, we can't just have the content of the Bible without readily applying it to the context of real people and allowing the content of the Bible to then play into my context, right? So the person that really is an effective disciple maker is the person that understands the truths of the gospel, the implications of the gospel, the ways of the word of God, but they can also take those things, that good theology, that good doctrine, all of the things of God, and then apply them into the lives of everyday people. And part of that is, again, listening to people, knowing where they're at, and then helping to walk them through the truths of the Scripture in a way that that applies to their situation. And you would be amazed at how many disciple-making opportunities there are because somebody's going through something really difficult. And, man, the Bible speaks to, to every in and out of our experience in life. It really does. It's life-giving. It has the ability to shape us, mold us, and make us. And so if we know the Bible well, then translate it into everyday life. However, there is... Um, there, there is a danger on the other side. If we just know people and we're just super, super um, focused on being culturally relevant, right, we also fail in delivering the truth of the scripture, right? So it can't just be about knowing my context and in knowing people's lives and knowing what's going on. I have to also be able to take the scripture and say, this is how it applies. 
So there's a danger in, in, in this cultural relevancy where we try to mold the scripture to fit our needs, right, and desires. That is a danger. And we've got to watch out for false teaching in that same kind of way. And so a true disciple maker takes the word of God and readily translates the gospel and the word of God into the everyday lives of people. And again, as obviously, Jesus was the best at this. Because he spoke in parables, and I love it. The Bible talks a lot about why do you speak in parables? And what he did is he just, he would bait it up and he'd create this desire, right? He made it accessible to people in a way that they could grab hold of it and they could dig deeper and deeper and deeper. He took the, content, uh, the complex ideas of the kingdom and he used parables to make them digestible and connect them uh, to the lives of everyday people. And he would say things like, the kingdom of God is like, and then he would describe the kingdom of God in a parable. And there's so many of these parables, I would just encourage you uh, to read some of them and see this technique at work. And Jesus often would do another little technique, which was he would answer a question with a question, right? Why? Because good teachers are going to, let's, let's, let's follow up on the next possible question then. And he's allowing them to do the processing, and so I love that. But it has this ability to take the content of the scripture, the content of the gospel, and, and translate it into the context uh, of everyday life. And Paul did this too. Uh, there was a moment where he's talking uh, to a group of people. He says, men of Athens, I, pre- I perceive that in every way you are very religious. So he's out. He's a great evangelist. He's out on his evangelical tour. And, and here he is. He's, he's continuing to preach the gospel. But what he readily did was, again, identify where people are at and then speak the truth of the gospel into that. And he says, and he says as I passed along, I observed the objects of your worship. I found also an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God. And so he's, he's, he's observing. Here's something I noticed on the way into town, and now let me talk to you about that. So he tees it up then and says, what therefore you worship is unknown, this I proclaim to you. I mean, what a powerful uh, moment. He says, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands, as though he needed anything. Since he himself gives, all, uh, gives life to all mankind and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. So he's using their theology again to build on it and to give it completion. He says, listen, yet he is actually not far from each one of us, because in him we live and move and have our being, which was a saying that they, they, they would say at the time. And so, and as some of your own poets, so as, as some of your own poets have said, and then for indeed, um, we are his offspring. So you see how he's taking the things that they already know, and he's saying, this is unknown to you, but let me make it known to you. Let me build on this foundation that's already there. And so great disciple makers, they'll do this. Leonard Sweet one time said, if you want to change a person's life, give them a new story to believe. Give them a new story to believe. Speak a new story into their existence. And here's the new story. It's the story of the gospel. It's the greatest story of all time where God came down into the form of a baby. He took on flesh. He lived among us. He healed and transformed and changed the lives of people. And then he gave himself to die on the cross of Calvary and raise to new life three days later so that all of us could live and not just live now fully but live into eternity with him. There is no more powerful story that can be told than that story. So if you want to change someone's life, give them a new story to believe. Help translate that story into their existence. The next thing they do is that they make themselves accessible. They make themselves accessible. Now, ironically, Jesus' invitation to disciples wasn't just, 
hey guys, um, notice you guys are doing some fishing. Now, um, I just want to invite you to come uh, meet me up at the temple every Sunday around 10 o'clock. And uh, we might have a guy playing guitar there a little bit. And uh, then we'll talk just a few truths. And then I'll just send you guys on your way to do your everyday thing. Now, that wasn't his invitation, right? Um, now, not saying those things are bad, but Jesus' invitation when it comes to actually making disciples wasn't that. It also wasn't, hey, just, just fill out this form and then we're going to go through this 10-step process, right? Like all of these things were not his, um, what he said was, come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. He gave them access into his everyday life. He said, hey, come along with me. We're going to learn along the way. And by doing that and following him day in and day out, what began to happen is they got to observe Jesus in all of these everyday situations, right? They got to see how he, he dealt with uh, some people that were doing some wrong in the temple, right? They got to see him, like, you know, take that position of authority. They got to see him healing people. They got to see him walking on water. They got to see all of these crazy miracles. And they got to see him just in these intimate moments. And they got to have these conversations with Jesus just in the everyday as they walked along the road. And it's really in these along-the-road kind of moments that discipleship happens. Because Jesus made himself accessible, invited them to walk with him. And so they weren't just bystanders. They participated in his life and mission with him. And if we really want to help shape the lives of our, of our siblings and our friends um, and uh, our children and, and whoever that might be, we've got to give them access to our life. We got to let them see what it looks like to have Jesus in the middle of a marriage. We got to let them see what it looks like to have Jesus around the dinner table at night. We got to see, let them see us in our everyday element and give them a window into our world because that's when lives are shaped and lives are changed is when we do the thing that Jesus did. And some of you, I know you're thinking, man, I have a full-time job. I'm constantly running the kids around. I don't have much free time, whatever that might be. And I, I, I totally, I can get that. Um, and it's true, you guys are busy, and we're continuing to be bombarded with more things, right, that, that just take a little bit of our time, a little bit of our time. But this should be all-encompassing. This should absolutely just invade every area of our life. So the things you're already doing, this flows into all of those areas. And then you find ways to just invite people on the journey. You say, hey, I'm going to this place today, come along with me. Or, hey, I'm working on this project at my house today, come along with me. And some of you guys have been awesome just to invite young people into your homes to do work at your house. Some people have hired people on that you know that, like, I can be uh, an influencer to this person, right? So invite people into the things that you're already doing. Uh, and you'll notice you get more done, too, right? Like, I, uh, th th this, is, this is a great, uh, a great opportunity for people to help you and walk along with you. But, man, what a great opportunity for them just to get to see uh, what it looks like uh, when you're in your element, how you treat people on a daily basis. Um, this, is, this is a powerful thing. Um, you know, and honestly, this is something that shifted dramatically for me because, like, I'm the kind of person, I'm social, but if I'm working on a project, I like to be, like, like just zoned in on it mostly because i have add and i know what happens if like that doesn't happen so i got to be like sitting working on it and so i've had to change some habits that are a bit uncomfortable for me where i used to love to just be like i'll like sit and work in, in an office where nobody's going to come in there i don't know if you notice this but no access staff people have any offices around here uh, we have storage closets but we don't have any offices and that's been intentional um and accidental all at the same time it's like we don't have any space for offices first of all but we wouldn't do it any other way why because now I get to, I'm going to be getting to work out in a coffee space with a bunch of people. I get to work out in everyday places with everyday people, having everyday kind of conversations. And that is invaluable, friends. 
And so I've had to check myself on this and shift my schedule. It used to be I'd spend a lot of time on projects and things like that. I'm trying to spend more and more time day in and day out now with people. And so, and I know, here, here's, here's the other side of that. You can't give everybody full access to your life. It just won't work. And so you need to identify those people that you're like, they're getting access to my life. I'm going to try as hard as I can to not say no to them. Um, and I might have to say no to some other people. But these folks are my focus right now. And so you have to, with the help of the Holy Spirit, identify, okay, who are those people that I'm just going to give full access to my life with? And maybe that changes year to year. But this year, at this time, at this place, who's that going to be? Because there's nothing more valuable than just everyday time. We, uh, Aiden and I, um, people told me I was crazy for doing this, but um, we went camping. Just, just him and my dad came along too, and uh, he, he was smart to go home and it, it, once it was bedtime. But uh, we, uh, we had just this great time. I kept saying I just want to go out and camp because I love to camp, and I'm like, I know this is going to be so good for Aiden. And I'll just tell you right now, dads uh, or moms that like outdoors, um, this is a great, great way to just go spend some uninterrupted time. Um, just And, man, Aiden just had so much fun. He was fishing, throwing rocks, shooting Nerf darts at little targets. Like, it was like a dream for him. We get into the tent, so he kept saying, too, like, we're sitting by the fire. He's loving it. And then finally, though, he's like, I want to go to bed. And I'm like, you never want to go to bed. What are you talking about? He wanted to go in the tent, right? He's like, let's go to bed. And so we go, we, we sit down in the tent, and he's good. He looks at me, he's like, Dad, this is awesome. Like, I love this. I want to go camping again. Like, I was like, so I was like, this is great. But, um, you know, he is a, a, one of the biggest responsibilities for me at this stage in my life, right, is to continue to develop him and shape him. And so what better way than just have consistent, uninterrupted time? And so who is that for you that you need to be spending time with? Um, and what will happen as you give a window into your world and make Jesus the center of it is that discipleship will be a natural byproduct, won't it? And some of you have seen this play out in your lives um, that, that you start to see these patterns um, then replay and replicate in the life of the next person. Not by your power or the fact that you're really savvy or smart. It's really not that. Um, or, you know, I wouldn't be able to do it. I need, I need the Lord's help uh, to guide me um, day in and day out. And so um, they give access. The last thing that they do is this, and this is really important. They act with urgency. There is this sense of urgency uh, for the mission of Jesus. And they feel that, that urgency. And it's not a, like a guilt trip kind of thing. It's not a, like, oh, here you go again, you know, make disciples like it. No, they're just so convicted by the fact that they want others to experience God in the same way that they have that there's just this urgency that drives their day today. And so it's not just something they make time for. It really is their life and their existence. They live for God and for his mission. I've been watching this show on TNT. Any of you guys watched um, The Last Ship? Anybody seen The Last Ship? None of you. Oh, my goodness. Wow. Loser. Um, so <laughs> who watches that show? Somebody's going to go home and check it out when I tell you the premise. So um, I've been watching on Hulu, but it's a TNT show. And the whole premise of the show is there's this U.S. naval carrier that is out on this mission. And they think they're just out doing some weapons testing. But what they're actually doing is they have this doctor on board that is trying to find this cure for this deadly virus. And since they've been out away from everyone, this virus has wiped out 80% of the population. And they're facing all kinds of pressure from other people that are trying to steal the cure from them. But they know that they will give their very lives for the cure. They're like, every day in and day out, they'll guard the cure. They will give their lives for the cure. They even can't quite go home yet to check on their families because they have the most, they have to save the planet by getting the cure. And so I know some of you are interested. You're going to go home and watch now. Um, 
But can you imagine that? Can you imagine if 80% of the population was being infected by a, a disease that was just, uh, it was just devastating people? What if that was true and you possessed the cure? Like your job was the cure. You had access to the cure. You would do anything you could, right, to get the cure into the hands of the people that you love the most. You would do whatever it takes to protect the cure and to administer the cure and to make sure that people were experiencing the cure. And you know where I'm going with this. You would do whatever it takes, and, and, and there is a sickness that none of us is immune to, right? And we see the story of it in Scripture, but we also see the, the remnants of it in families and, and just so many just parts of our society where sin is just taken over, right? Sin and devastation and brokenness and emptiness and um, depression. I mean, put whatever title you want onto it. You know, that, that original sin has continued to grow and to devastate humanity. But we know that God provided a cure. And we possess the cure that the world so desperately needs. Which is why Paul said, I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. You see, even Paul knew that not everybody would take the cure, right? Not everybody would, rece would receive the cure. But he would do whatever it takes to make sure that they had access to the cure. That they could live life to the fullest, that they could truly embrace life in the way that they were intended to embrace life. And he does it, he says, I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. Paul said, I want everybody to experience the blessing of knowing Jesus. And so by all means necessary, I will give all that I have to make sure that they do. You know, there's a lot of stories this past week of devastation from uh, the storm damage, both from Hurricane Harvey and now Hurricane Irma in, um, in Florida. And there's just so many stories that are sad stories. There's also stories of people going to great lengths to help one another, which has been uh, just truly encouraging. There's one story that I read this past week that has just been continuing just to circulate in my mind. And it's the story of the eight nursing home residents that lost their lives um, after the power went out um, and, and many of them faced, like, heat exhaustion i know this is still under investigation but the part of this that just it just continues to rattle me is that those residents were right across the street from the hospital right across the street from the hospital and you just think like man it's just, it's just if somebody had done something if somebody had reached out if if they could just got across the street they would have received the help that they need and they were so close and i can't help but just think about the fact that there's churches on every corner and it really is. I mean, we, we, we live in a place where there's so many churches and, and so many disciples of Jesus in every neighborhood. But yet there's still people on the outside that are missing out on the cure. They're missing out on the hope and help that they so desperately need. And I know we can't do everything, and I know we can't make somebody take the cure, but what we can do is to continue to provide help, to continue to be mobilized and step out in a way to say, just like Paul did, by all means, I'm going to work to save some. Some might say no, but I'm going to continue to work to say some. I'm going to continue to uh, just elevate and, um, and hand out the, the cure of Jesus. And our mission is that, is to help people meet and mature in Jesus. Disciples make disciples. It's what they do. And so maybe we be willing to do whatever it takes. I heard this other story this past week. Uh, it was just a, a story of a, a young hero um, uh, and uh, her name was Heather Penny. And many of you guys probably not heard the story of he Heather Penny. 
but during 9-11, um, which we just commemorated this past week, um, and just, you know, what, what a sad day uh, that was, but so many heroes rose up that day, and she was one of them, and she was a fighter pilot, combat pilot, she was actually part of the first generation of female fighter pilots, and she's like, I want to be a fighter pilot like my dad, and so she went through training, and just on the heels of training, everything happened with 9-11 first plane flew into the tower and when that happened for the most part everyone thought that it was some kind of accident right like it was just some Cessna plane or something that went off course and it was an accident and so there was just a lot of information floating around plane number two hits and it's pure hysteria because now we know it was no accident we are under attack and when that happened uh, back in those days, there, there wasn't always planes on the runway um, that were, were what are called hot-cocked planes. In other words, they're not loaded and ready to go, right? And so there's this long process of getting these planes armed and ready to go. And many of the planes at that time uh, still had dummy bullets. All of them did. It had, still had dummy bullets from training exercises. And so we knew, though, that there was other aircraft in the air that were going to strike a target that was going to devastate a large group of people. And so there was only one other thing that could be done. And so Heather Penny gets her orders uh, from her captain who will join her on this mission to say, we know what we need to do. There's no bullets. There's no other way to do this except we decide that we sit in that cockpit and we make sure that that plane that we're in hits that target. And we know what it means for us because there's a chance we could eject, but we're not going to be able to eject because if we eject, that plane could veer just enough that it misses its target and we fail our mission. And we will do everything that we can for the mission. And so they were ready that day. In fact, they got into their plane. They took off on that runway. They flew ready to complete that mission that they knew would be the end of their existence this side uh, of heaven. And so they were ready to do that. They were prepared to do whatever it takes to protect those people in Washington that that plane was on course for. Now, you know how the story goes, and, and they were ready to do that, but they didn't have to do that because a group of heroes on a plane, uh, on a United flight, decided, we're taking this plane down. They had got word of what was happening, and so they decided that they would do that very thing, and that they knew, uh, you know, we need to do something. And so they responded, and they flew that plane into a, a field uh, to, to, to safely protect everyone else. And then what a picture. What a picture of what it looks like to have the mission, to understand the mission, and be willing to say, I will do whatever it takes. And church, that's what I'm calling you to. That's what I'm calling myself to, is that we would continue to live in such a way that we would do whatever it takes for the mission. That we would have that same sense of urgency, knowing that this matters, and what we're doing here matters, and what we're doing with Project 215, and in our community groups, and with Kala Coffee House, and so many of these different mission fields. These things matter. Why? Because we're talking eternity is at stake here. The lives of innocent people, not innocent people, are at stake here. Um, but man, we have got uh, to be willing to step up to the plate and do whatever it takes. That's our mission, church. And so let's pray and just ask God to continue to commission us and send us in that way. Father, we just want to thank you today for just your word. And I got to be honest, it, it, it humbles me. It humbles me and it challenges me, God, because I know there are times that I live without urgency and I, I, want, I, I want to be on fire for the mission, God. It's easy to forget the importance of why we're here, God. So I just pray that you would remind us and that you would help us, God, to just take steps to develop these new patterns, to be accessible to people and available and to chase hard after you in a way that we can lead others along. 
And so, God, we just ask for your help. We ask that you would continue to just give us eyes to see the people around us and give us a heart that is driven by your mission, God, and by just a love for you that we want everybody to have what we have. We thank you so much for Jesus. And as we sing songs to you today and as we declare your name and as we declare your glory and your goodness and your love, just thank you for that. But I pray, God, that these words on our lips, these words that we sing and declare, that that song will continue as we step out of these doors, God, that we would continue to declare and proclaim your name. That you would give us opportunities, even this week, even today, God, to, to reach out into the life of someone else. So God, challenge our hearts today. We thank you for making salvation possible by the power of the cross. We thank you for overcoming so that we too could be overcomers, God. We thank you for how you took victory over the grave so that we can have victory today too, God. And we want that victory to spread in the lives of people, God. So as we continue to sing and then as we take communion, God, help us to remember how valuable the cross was for us. That you gave everything so that we could live. That you gave your very life so that we could find life. We praise you and pray this in Jesus' name.